Good morning. Thank you for gathering with us again this morning, and um, thank you again for the privilege, for, for the honor it is, just to have a chance to help each one of you become just a little bit more devoted to Jesus, a little bit more equipped as one of his followers. Uh, that's what we post everywhere, that's what we say, and it's really what we do. We're passionate about authenticity here. That, and, and authenticity means two things, and I promise you, this is on the script. This is what they're looking up up here. That, that, the last, this first illustration just, just was not scripted, i got to say. But just you probably noticed a couple seconds ago, a, a song started that wasn't supposed to, started in a wrong key. And, and they were honest about it, and there's a little giggling, and we, we were, that, that's authenticity. But you know what's real authenticity? Is when, how rare that is. How much excellence is just always happening with the worship band and, and the media. That, and that's the kind of authenticity that we're talking about in the series called Authentic Faith, the Church. It's not that we're trying to pretend that we never mess up or that there's no room for improvement in any area of any of our lives. It's just what are the bullseyes that Jesus Christ has given us? And are we shooting all of our arrows at those bullseyes? That's what this is all about. Thank you guys for the excellent job that you guys do all the time, including this morning. I was able to connect with God. But we're going to move on. Uh, every, every message in this series is, um, we're using an illustration from Danielle Strickland that she says that our lives are like trees, that the deepest beliefs, the deepest truths fuel the values that shape our actions, and that's what produces the fruit that we see in our lives. Each one of these big ideas about what it means to be a church, we're exploring in that direction. So once again, here's the whole outline, and then we're going to dig deep together. If suffering were a tree, and yes, we're talking about suffering today. This is not a command from God, but it is just as clearly outlined in Scripture as part of the reality that we face as Christians. Part of what the church has to prepare for and act on as all the other things that we're walking through. So we're talking about suffering. And if suffering were a tree, there's two key roots. One is actually a good thing. The idea of cause and effect or hard work. That was even before the fall. There's, there's an element of that where the, the struggle, the, the desire to do something important, there, there's something good in that. But all true suffering, we're going to look at this in a second, the, the absolute terror, terror and terrible things that happen, that all comes from either Satan or from our own sinful choices. The trunk, that what makes good things bad or not. This is the core idea of, of all of the value systems that we're going to look at this morning about suffering. And that is we've got to face it head on. We can't pretend it away. We can't act like it just isn't there. We can't expect God to remove it entirely because he does not promise that to happen. We've got to face it head on. So how do we do that? We're going to look at some ways to do that, some actions that would help us do that. And here's the fruit on the other side of suffering that is handled God's way, handled in a biblical way, handled in a logical and truthful way. You can expect strength even in the moment and to become stronger as life goes on. On the other side of each thing you suffer, you can, you can see increasing strength. You can experience peace in the moment. Peace that the Bible calls peace that passes understanding. Peace that just can't be explained, but an ability to, to endure in, in ways that no human actually could. You can experience purpose 
and victory in a real way that only can come from God. So that's where we're going. Let's jump right in with the really deep stuff about the roots of this idea. Number one, work or cause and effect is a good thing. Uh, Justice and I have been working out really faithfully again um, after a a year of not so faithfully. We're back in the gym. Some of you have seen us. We've seen some of you there. It's pretty fun. Uh, Authenticity, we've missed a couple of days, but only a couple over the last like month and a half. We've been in it. We're we're in it. This is is part of our rhythm again. It's hard work. We come out of there just exhausted. Sometimes we're shaking. One morning recently, I almost threw up outside. It was nasty. I'm not trying to gross you out. I'm just telling you, it's hard and it's crazy, except guess what? That's good. Are you with me on this? There is a side of hard work. There is a side of suffering to some degree that's actually healthy and good. And and and, and there's, there's a goodness in there. When God rested on the seventh day, he just spent six days creating. And he had just given the human beings that he had just created in his image some really important and fulfilling jobs to do. There's something good about that on that. The curse came later, but it did come, and I promise you we're going to handle that in just a second. First, really quickly, there's two scriptures that deal with the good stuff. They're just two of so many, but I want to highlight these two. Proverbs 31, 27, it's describing this ideal woman in that chapter. It says, she carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Notice it doesn't say she doesn't suffer. It says that none of the suffering that she endures in her life comes from her just being a lazy person. She does what she needs to do. I love that. It's a great example to all of us. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, one of the more famous ways, but not the only place where this is just laid out in Scripture. It says, make no mistake about it. By the way, I'm reading, if the words are a little unfamiliar, this is the Passion Translation. I really love that translation. I've been reading that. Uh, recently Uh, but it says make no mistake about it God will never be mocked for what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest the harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted if you plant the corrupt seeds of self life into this natural realm you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption if you plant this good seeds of spirit life you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the Spirit. So there's this thing that we have as Christians, and, and people who aren't Christians also know these two things as well, but from a biblical perspective, these are crucial for us to understand. They're both called the same thing, discipline. One is, one kind of discipline is kind of a punishment or some sort of a natural bad consequence when we get things wrong, when we fail. But the one you hear the most about throughout God's word is the other kind. And that's where you just force yourself to do the right thing over and over and over again. That's that healthy side of work. It's, it's that idea. That's what Hebrews, Hebrews is actually talking about both in this section. And it says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. That's both kinds, by the way. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. But of course, there has been a fall. And and there never would have been the levels of pain and distress and extreme hardship 
and just awful, terrible things in the world if it wasn't for the fact that Satan and sin had shown up. That, that, that people chose to doubt God and trust the accuser instead. And they chose to disobey God and obey the accuser and themselves instead. And all of this straight up just terrible, awful evil in the world in one way or another can be traced back to those things just as the same way as we talked recently that every good and perfect gift one way or another can be traced back to God the Father. Romans 12, chapter 1, Paul outlines this, this fall that all humans go through when they reject God and start to worship created things instead. And there comes this moment where it says that God gave them over. And, and it, it, that's a terrible, terrible spot. We never want to, to get there. But here, here's what I hope that you see. Sometimes... Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's just not. Sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with you. There is a good kind of suffering that you should be experiencing because you're working so hard. If you're not experiencing that, something's wrong. You, you should be working harder. And there is a bad kind of suffering that happens when you're getting it wrong and maybe you, it's due to you and... and, and I can't do anything about that. That's all of us. But there's this other kind of suffering that happens. Sometimes it's not your fault, and it's a whole other category. And we see this in the story of Job. Job is 42 chapters long. There's no way to get through his whole story today, but I'm going to highlight some key ideas. I don't know any way to walk through what the Bible says about suffering without at least mentioning Job, let alone maybe percolating there for a little while. So we're, here's how his story starts. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. Again, there's that idea of authenticity. It's the idea of not, not that he never messed up ever, I'm sure, but he was really about what he said he was about. His life was really about following God. That's really who he was. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. He was the richest person in that area. Job 1.6 says this, One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, the accuser. I'm sorry, before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Right, we could go a lot of rabbit trails there, but let's just keep on with the story. What happens is Satan shows up and he starts this little conversation, argument thing with God about Job. And he's like, he only loves you because you're so good to him. Verse 12, all right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. We're going to rejoin Job in a second. Maybe you've heard this story many, many times. Just in case, here's the bare basics. The first round of suffering, the devil does exactly that. He takes away pretty much everything Job had, but he doesn't harm him physically. Job doesn't curse God. So he goes back to God, and this cycle begins, and it gets worse and worse. And by the end, when we rejoin Job at the end here in a few minutes, we're, he's lost everything, his health, all of his friends, all of his family, all of his stuff, everything. He's got a terrible disease that makes him look gross and smell gross, and he's sitting outside in dust and ashes wearing uncomfortable clothes, and the only four people left in his life is his wife who's telling him to curse God and die, and his three friends that are telling him it's all his fault. And you think you've got trouble. 
It's in the, it's in the Scriptures. This is there. But I need you to see in the story of Job that no matter how, we could go down a lot of rabbit trails, and if you'd like to come talk to me personally, please come do, I will walk you through some of the intricacies of these ideas. But this is one of the places that we understand that God himself does not cause evil. Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. That's a completely different thing than God plays some sort of cosmic chess game and he moves all the white pieces and then spins the board and does the other one. Have you ever seen that Pixar short, you know, where the old guy's doing that? You know how crazy he looks? God's not crazy like that. That's not how it works. But he works in all things, the things he purposes, the things he does, the things that we do, the things the devil does. One way or another, he works it out for the good of those who love him. That's what the scriptures tell us. He works for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. In our fallen world, God allows suffering, but he limits it and he uses it. He also disciplines us, but it's always for our good. In Ephesians 6, Paul equates several amazing things about the Christian life to armor. He talks about righteousness, truth, faith, God's word, salvation, and a constant readiness to share the gospel with this metaphor. Why? He straight up tells us right in that same passage in Ephesians 6 that we are at war. I, thankfully, I've never been at war. Some of you I know are veterans and you've actually literally been at war some of you have prepared for it know a lot more about it than I have, even if you haven't experienced it. But let me tell you something I know about war. You don't get to relax in war. It's never comfortable. It's not supposed to be. There's no guarantee that, hey, if you just wear this helmet, you will be fine. That doesn't happen. When, you, when someone sends you into battle wearing armor, the armor is there to protect you. The, armor, the weapons are there to help you fight, but there are no guarantees. And that's the kind of life that we live in. The Bible is so clear about this. This is, this is part of what we face this side of heaven, and that's all there is to it. We can't escape this idea. That's why Paul uses this same idea in talking to Timothy. He says, endure suffering with me, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. One of my favorite authors and uh, experts on leadership is a guy named Craig Rochelle. He talks a lot about this idea of choosing your pain. He talks about that there's always the pain of discipline and there's always other pains, but bad consequences and also pain that comes just from regret. If only I would have done this. And I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of suffering in my own personal life wishing I would have done this or wouldn't have done this. Even if it wasn't so painful, even the thing I did didn't cause a lot of suffering, that regret is painful. But he says, there's always going to be pain. You just choose your pain. Would you rather have the pain of discipline, the pain of habits that actually take you in a good direction, the pain of making the right choice no matter how hard it is, or would you rather have the kind of pain that comes when you don't? Do that. That's really the only choice that we have. In the Old Testament, there's this really great character named Esther. And a lot of times we, we, we tend to look at her and think she's somebody who just had everything. All, all, every, all the stars aligned for her. Wow, if only I could be like Esther. She's beautiful. She gets to be the queen, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, guess what? She also, she was orphaned by the people that she eventually became the queen of. Her only family was just this one cousin who then had to play this role kind of like an uncle, kind of like a dad in her life. She, she, this beauty contest that she won was actually pretty demeaning if you read between the lines. She lost a lot of freedom, a lot of dignity. It wasn't as great as it sounds. And to be the queen, she actually was still in a position where she had to risk her life to just walk into the king's presence uninvited. And she knew exactly that this is the kind of reality she lived in. She faced it. But then when this terrible moment came up, this such a time as this moment that came up, it's the heart of the whole story, and she had the chance to save her people. She had a very real choice. She might get killed just for, just for walking up to the king. She, she, she could lose everything that she did have that was good. She had so much. This was a big thing, but listen what she said in chapter 8, verse 6. She says, she has to do it, for how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed there's going to be suffering one way or another she's either going to suffer trying to get up the courage and make a plan and fast and pray and get prepared and all the other things she had to do to do this right thing she knew she had to do or she was going to suffer knowing that she could have done something and never did and she loses her people and it's partly her fault this is what it looks like this is what it looks like. This is the kind of choices we make. We don't get to choose if we suffer. We sometimes, sometimes get to choose how we suffer. I don't know if you've ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome, but I'd like to talk to you about that for a second. Some people say that Beauty and the Beast is about Stockholm Syndrome. I, I disagree. I think, it has, I think it's about a tale as old as time true as it can be. I, I think that's really what it's about. But I see what they're saying, because here's what Stockholm Syndrome is about. It's, it's a very weird, weird phenomenon that happens where somebody is a victim and they develop really strong, positive feelings for the person who abuses them. Someone kidnaps someone and the person they kidnaps defends them the rest of their life. Oh, they didn't mean it. They're actually a really nice person. It, it's a really weird thing and it happens a lot. Nobody really knows why? I don't really, I, I see what they're saying about Beauty and the Beast, but here's what I really see it in. I see it in addictions. Where we defend, no, 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 I need this. Oh, no, no, no. This is, I, I've got to have this to survive. This is actually a good thing for me. Back off. I see it in uh, relationships that we know are sinful, but the idea of what if I gave it up, what would happen? We're so afraid of that, we just can't. And so we defend these sinful choices and we try to pretend that they're okay and they're not. We see, we see this over and over where we end up trapped and where we know that it's not right. We know it's separating us from God. We know it's breaking relationships with other people. We know that there's suffering involved, but somehow or another we get attached to that. We start identifying ourselves as a victim. We think that being a victim is part of our identity, that that's normal, that it's okay to live in fear and defeat every single day. And it's not. It's not okay. It's not normal. Why do we choose this? So one of the branches I hope you're going to put on your tree, the tree of suffering, if you real quick, let's catch up. It's going to happen. There's good reasons for suffering, there's bad reasons, there's reasons that make no sense, comes from the devil, there's all of that. It's going to happen. The, what makes some good or bad choices of how we handle them is just if it's effective or not. 
Do they honor God or not? There's no way we can just totally avoid it. It's not going to happen. So now we're up to the actions part of this tree of suffering, and this is my challenge to you. Make sure that at least one of the branches is that you are getting rid of any stuck home syndrome in your life. If you're defending your own sin, if you're defending a relationship that is wrong and sinful, if you are defending the thing that is tearing you apart, something is deathly wrong and that needs to stop so that you can be free. And there's always a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Keep listening because he tells us how that happens. There are temptations that are more than we can stand. But this is the difference. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Part of what makes any life rich and satisfying is if we have something to fight for, something to live for, something to do that's meaningful, something that's bigger than us, that gives us a reason and a purpose for living. If we don't have that, no matter how hard that work is, we don't have a good and satisfying life. Sometimes a good and satisfying life includes some pain and includes some stuff, whether that seems fair or not. Several times in the last couple weeks, I've reminded you that one of the most common phrases in the Bible in several different books is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does this sound familiar? I hope so. Here's another one that's repeated almost as many times. I'm just going to give you one example from 1 Chronicles 16. 34, excuse me, please read this aloud with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. One more time, would you read that with me? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You want to talk about suffering? Imagine how it feels to God when he sees all the stuff that humans do to each other. Imagine how it feels to God when the people that he loves, the people that say they follow him, betray him and disobey him on purpose, relentlessly, and they defend their captors more than they defend him. And yet his love endures forever because he is good. Talk about Stockholm Syndrome. I'd like to talk now about Stockdale Paradox. I don't know if you've ever heard of James Stockdale, but he was an amazing person. He was a vice admiral in the Navy. He received the Medal of Honor for his incredible courage and leadership during a seven and a half year stint as a POW in Vietnam. He showed courage not only himself, but also by leading the rest of the survivors. And years later, when Jim Collins interviewed him for his book, Good to Great, in that interview, he told Collins that he would, quote, would not trade what he went through, because, again, quote, he chose to turn the experience into the defining event of his life. He chose to turn the experience into the defining event of his life. Jim Collins asked him, so what was, it, what was the difference? Why did you and the people you were leading survive and actually end up stronger and more sane on the other side of this same suffering and the other people either died or just were wrecked the rest of their lives? 
And, and, and in his words, he called those people the optimists. And here, here's what it was. In his way of explaining, he said that there were people who believed, like he did, that they had two options. They were either going to die there, or they would eventually be rescued. And they had no control over either one of those two things. So they, they focused on just the things they had choices about. What are they going to do about today? How are they going to respond to being starved today? How are they going to respond to the beating they're getting today? How are they going to communicate and encourage each other today? How are they going to face the brutal reality of today? The optimists, as he called them, were the people who had a hope, not just that someday they'd be rescued, but they would make up fantasy hopes. I think we're all going to be rescued by Christmas. Just wait. By Christmas. And Christmas would come and go, and they'd lose a little bit more of their sanity, and it would just go on and on, spiral down, until because they weren't believing in truth. And they were, they were just saying, I'm just going to hold on. I can handle this as long as I'm saved by Christmas. They, instead of just making choices about what they face. He knew the truth that the dread pirate Roberts knew. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. That's William Goldman who wrote the script, but I remember it as the dread pirate Roberts. But here's a quote from the very, very real James Stockdale. I'd like you to really listen to this. This is so, so powerful. He says, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. See, this is the danger that a lot of Christians face. This is why suffering is on this list of things that make a church a church. Because if we pretend that God is going to just keep us from ever suffering, we're wrong. That is not what the Bible says. And so then we think, well, God's letting me down. God's not keeping his promises. Maybe God isn't actually good. Maybe God's not honest. We have all these extra struggles because we believed a lie. We will prevail in the end. He is going to win in the end. He is there. It's going to work. If you die or if Jesus comes back before it's all over, one way or another, we're all going to end up in heaven together. And that is true. But you know what we have choices about? What we face right now. And sometimes it's wonderful. And sometimes it's deliriously great. And sometimes it's brutal. And sometimes it's terrible. And sometimes it's just the, the, the reality of it all is just almost, it, it is more than we can bear. The only way we can bear it is because he gives us a way out. But when we face it head on, when we face it based on the faith that he is good, based on the faith that there's got to be a way out somewhere, when we make those choices, then we actually have a chance of making it out stronger and saner on the other side. Let's go back to the story of Job as we start to wrap up. I'm not sure how Job himself would have reacted if he would have read, it was several centuries later, but if he would have read James's words, where James told us to consider it all joy when we face trials and sufferings of many kind. I'm not sure how Job would have reacted when he read that, because he was a human being just like we are. But James himself in chapter 5 refers to Job's story, believe it or not, as uh, an example that the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Wow. And Paul writes this to his friend Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And Jesus, Jesus Christ himself said that we're blessed when we're persecuted for righteousness. 
In the same passage where he said we've got to take heart and remember that he has overcome the world, in that same passage he says you will have many trials and sorrows. In the same passage, John 15, where he's talking about that we are like a tree and we are connected to God. We are the branches of the tree and that if we stay connected to him, that is the source of our life. That is what we need to do. He will give us life if we stay connected to him. But in that same passage, he warns us that God's going to prune off the branches that don't bear fruit. And guess what? That hurts. That's suffering, even though it's good. Just a couple last thoughts from Job. Two very short little stories and a big challenge to you this morning. I like this. I always, it's my passion to make this as practical as possible. I don't want you to just go, wow, that was a good thought and leave. I hope your life is different every time you show up at Morrison Hill Christian Church. So here's some really practical stuff. Job chapter 2, verse 13, is probably the best thing his friends ever did for him. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights, and no one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. This morning I'm trying to give you hope and truth and encourage you with words, but I'm telling you, sometimes in the darkest moments of suffering, that's the last thing you and your friends need. Just be there for them. When they ask you, when they're ready, be prepared. Hopefully you're more prepared this morning because of what we've walked through. But that's not going to solve the problem, just knowing the answers in that moment. Be honest and pray. There's several passages in Job where he rails against God, just like the psalmist, just like so many other people throughout. And he's like, why? How long? What is going to happen? I wish I would just die. If you hate me so bad, why don't you just curse me? God, you did this to me, which isn't true, but he thinks it is in the moment, and so he says it. And his friends just go lie after lie after lie after lie, judgment after judgment, and it just keeps going and swirls around. But he's honest, and he's talking about where he is in that moment, and that's a healthy thing. As you're walking through suffering, be honest about it. Talk to God about it. Work it out. Job 38.1 says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. As far as I can understand, this was kind of like the burning bush. It was an actual kind of a whirlwind that he could kind of see or at least hear, and God was speaking out of it. But let me tell you, metaphorically speaking, this happens every single time that there's suffering. I, I, I've seen this happen so many times in my life and many other people's life that, that suffering always feels like a whirlwind. You're disoriented and you're totally out of control and it's scary and it's, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. But those are moments where you can hear God's voice. I don't have time this morning to tell the whole story, but there was a really dark moment in our family's life where Kim had uh, miscarried and was hemorrhaging. She lost almost half the blood in her body. It was a terrible day, absolutely ridiculously terrible day still haunts me sometimes. I still think back to it sometimes. But I'm telling you right now, in that moment, it was one of the clearest times I ever heard, literally heard the voice of God. It wasn't just a conviction. It wasn't just the advice of friends. He said, she's going to be okay. This is not how Kim dies. And I was able to just soldier on through. Because he, I heard his voice in the whirlwind. And if you are a believer and you are day after day doing the discipline, choosing the pain of staying connected to God, that is going to be available to you. In the moments when it is a whirlwind, you are going to be able to have help from God himself. Job 39, 26. 
God, he's still talking to Job, and he goes, is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? It's, it's a crazy thing because at the end of the story when God finally talks to Job and there's some quote-unquote answers, he never explains it. He never apologizes. He just goes, okay, you've been asking me questions for about 30 chapters. Let me ask you some for about two. Who are you? What do you know? It's a crazy ending to this story, and yet it's, it's real. And it's, it's a hopeful thing more than a dark thing. And it's one of the reasons, one of many reasons why we have a bird as our new logo now. It represents that even in the darkest moments of our lives, you see this hawk idea. This, he's comparing himself to this idea. that You see direction from God. You see provision from God. You see hope. You see the ability to fly out of the situation somehow. Here's one more really famous one. Isaiah 40. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Tony Evans tells a, a story about a, a, an airplane that's flying and there's this terrible storm going on and everybody's panicking except one little boy and he's calmly just drawing a picture of a sunny day. And somebody says, why, why are you not afraid? And he goes, nope. And so why not? He goes, my dad's the pilot. That's the hope we have. And I don't know what kind of suffering you're going through this morning. I don't know what you're facing today. But here's what I know. That if God is your father, you can hear his voice in the whirlwind. If God is your father, then you have the ability to find a way out even when there's no human way to find a way out. You may not have all of the answers, but you've got some strategies that can help you face the realities, and you've got God, and you've got a lot of people here that care about you that could help you through this. What, if you're not a child of God, if you've not been connected to God for quite some time, we invite you this morning to make that whatever choice you need to do that. If you would just like some prayer this morning, there will some, just come, come forward and kind of go to either side here, and there will be some people who will come and pray with you, I promise. If you need to do any other kind of choice at all, let's just stand and do that as we stand and sing.